At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I made the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Last year, we did an episode with our friend and editorial board member, Antonia Akatunde. You might remember this. Um, Antonia runs this amazing website called Modern Mia. It focuses on Black motherhood, and it has got some of the most gorgeous photography I have ever seen on the internet. And in our episode with Antonia, episode 85, we talked about some of the moms that she's covered. And we focused a lot on how these women have addressed racism with their kids, even big things like police brutality. One single mom that Antonia featured actually moved to Japan in the hopes of keeping her son safe. A lot of you left comments on the post for that episode saying how much you could relate to the struggles that these moms were going through. And we got this comment from a woman named Wanda. There's a lot out there about how people of color and Black folks in particular have to talk to their kids about race in order to protect them. As a Black woman who wants to be a parent one day, I think a lot about how the white children my kids will interact with will be prepared or not to talk about race. I think an episode that features white families getting race right would be fascinating. Can you make it happen, LST? When we read this comment from Wanda here at The Longest Shortest Time, we were immediately like, yes, let's make that happen. And then we started trying to put the episode together and we realized, wait a second, how do you even define what it means for a white parent to get it right when it comes to talking about race? A lot of parents will say, if you ask them, do you talk about race? And they will say, yeah, we talk about it. But then if you actually ask them what what specifically they talk about, they'll say something like, well, we teach our child that it doesn't matter what you look like or we're all the same on the inside. God loves everyone, which is well-intentioned, but it doesn't actually send a message to a child about anything related to race. This is Bridget Fitchup. I am an associate professor of child development at Texas Women's University. Bridget has done a lot of research on the question that we're examining today. What are the most effective ways for white families to talk to their kids about race? Bridget studies how children develop racial attitudes and the many roles that parents play in that development. Now, before we get started, I want to acknowledge that race is a topic that a lot of white parents avoid because it's just plain old complicated. It's hard to know where to begin. But Bridget is here to show us that talking about race with our kids doesn't have to be hard. She's got some really simple, approachable ways to help us get started. We asked you guys to send in your questions on talking to your kids about race, and Bridget will be answering some of those. First, we're going to hear more about her research, which is super fascinating. Bridget Vitrup is white, and she's passionate about discussing race and racism both professionally and personally. I am married uh, to my husband, Glenn, who is a black man, and so I have two biracial children. Alonzo is eight, and Aaliyah is four. Bridget lives with her family in Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but she didn't grow up in the United States. She's actually from Denmark. And at the time, it was probably about 98%, 99% white. And um, in a country like that, you are never—race is not really part of your identity because you never see anybody that looks different than you. So um, this was not anything that I really started talking about until I moved to the United States, and I was kind of confronted with the fact that, you know, things are different. When Bridget was 20, she moved to the States for college. And she says after she'd been here a little while, the way people talked about race struck her as odd. Like, why were people talking about the civil rights movement as if it were ancient history? 
while at the same time, she was hearing about racial inequality happening all around her. And I remember a, um, a guy I went to school with that was talking about, um, you know, why is it that only you know, black people have to show their card when you go to um, Sam's Club or a Costco? And I thought, well, that's weird. And, and we kind of had a conversation about it. Um, and so I think it was just little by little, some of those conversations being exposed to them, um, that kind of made me realize this is not just a historical thing. This has been, this is still going on. Bridget's interest in race ramped up in grad school. She was studying psychology, and she was curious about how children developed racial attitudes and biases. At one point, she designed a study. The idea was simple. She recruited exclusively white families, showed them a video of white children playing with kids of other races. Some of the kids just had to watch the videos. Some of them had to watch them, and then the parents had these discussion points um, to engage children in conversations about it. Uh, related to the videos. And then um, there was a group of uh, children and parents that just had the discussion points. The purpose of this study was to see if either the videos or the discussions would lead to improvements in children's racial attitudes and whether there were different effects from the watching and the talking. Bridget thought she knew what would happen. She figured the groups of kids who watched the video then talked to their parents about race those kids would have the most positive racial attitudes after the study. Makes sense, right? But what I found was that the parents were very reluctant to have these conversations. And this was even though they had been told ahead of time what was part of the study, but they just found that they were very uncomfortable with it. And many of them were reporting that they actually did not really have these discussions. So even though these parents had agreed ahead of time to talk to their kids about race as part of the study, most of them did not do it. Just felt too awkward. Bridget was stunned. But the more she thought about this extreme discomfort in her study subjects, the more she realized it was all around her. Even in my classes, I see it. If it's a class where all the students are white or if I am you know, hanging out with some neighbors or some friends, and it's an all-white group, there is more conversation. But as soon as you put this one, you know, token minority person in there, all of a sudden there is just silence and people feel extremely uncomfortable. Um, white people feel extremely uncomfortable. So it's really interesting just to see these dynamics. And it also just kind of indicates the way that we deal with race in this country and the way that most people have been used to being silenced. And because of that, they're uncomfortable talking about it. Bridget wanted to understand this discomfort. So she did another study. And this time she found that even parents who really did discuss race with their children, many of them were taking a colorblind approach. So what does that mean? What does colorblind mean? That they want their children to grow up and not notice race and not treat anybody differently because of race. Um, and the problem is that... Which, I mean, look, just that sounds like, I don't know, kind of an ideal world, right? Where where we all think everyone deserves equal rights and uh, should be treated the same. Yes. So what's the problem with that? <laughs> <laughs> The problem is that society is not colorblind. Um, our society is very structured and categorized based on race. And so if we try to pretend that it's not like that, and let's just pretend that there are no different races and we don't see any differences, that means that we're actually not addressing the issues that are there. Um, children notice differences based on race starting as early as ages three to four. And what happens is that by not talking about it at all, that almost sends this message that, okay, we shouldn't talk about these people, there's something wrong with them, or um, it's okay, some people deserve more than others because we're not addressing it, and this is just what they, they see is happening. So it's like being silent is actually sending a message. It, it is. Um, it sends a very big message um, that there's nothing wrong, we don't have to deal with this. Um, and um, we leave it up to other sources, such as peers and the media, to teach children these messages about race. And these messages that children are receiving are oftentimes very biased. Um, talking about race is 
very much on the minds of, of, of people right now. Um, it's, it's a big topic in the current political climate. Um, how do you see that playing into conversations that um, parents are having with their kids about race? Well, certainly there's already, I mean, kids have been exposed to a lot of messages from the media, even if we don't want even young kids to hear about it. Um, but one day, just out of the blue, my eight-year-old asked me, he said, Mommy, why does Donald Trump hate Mexicans? And this was when there had been, this was during the election campaign, when there had been um, a lot of messages about, you know, Mexicans coming here, being criminals, and so we need to build a wall and, and you know, keep these people out. And so as much as we, as they don't hear it from their parents, perhaps, um, they hear it from others or other kids are hearing it from their parents and then they're hearing it from these kids at school. And so they start asking questions about that. So it is important to have um, very direct and honest conversations with them in order to try to um, overcome some of the biased messages that they're being exposed to. Why do you think it's important for white parents to talk to their kids about race? I think because what happens is that if we're silent about it, um, it tends to um, trivialize the voices of these marginalized groups of people um, that can contribute to minority children feeling devalued. And as a white person um, in America, you have the privilege of not having to think about your race. You're not constantly reminded of the fact that, that you're white. And so... It's a lot easier to take a colorblind approach when you are white, whereas if you're a black person growing up in America, you're constantly being uh, reminded of your race. And so I think that it's important that us as white people, that we also recognize that not everybody has this privilege of of not having to think about our race all the time. Uh, and if we want to move towards true equality, um, it, it has to be an effort on everybody's part. How early can you start talking to your kids about this stuff? Like, I'm thinking we've got um, listeners who don't have kids, and many of them are thinking about having kids one day or um, have little babies. Like, at what point do you start having these conversations with your kids? I mean, you can pretty much start as soon as they can talk. And um, there are also others that advocate for starting even earlier, um, even when they're infants, just having um, conversations about race. And not so much because when they're infants, obviously, they're not understanding what you're saying, but more for the purpose of getting yourself used to it. Because I think a lot of times when people are uncomfortable talking about race, it's because it's just... It's not something they're used to, um, and so they don't have a lot of practice. And so if you can get practice, the more you talk about it, the more comfortable you'll be talking about it. Um, but again, there is research showing that, that biases based on race start as early as ages three or four. And um, a lot of times parents assume, well, we shouldn't have these conversations until they're a lot older. Uh, but at that point, the kids have already started absorbing some of these biases now, you're advocating for um, talking to your kids early, not staying silent, but also I hate when there's parenting advice that, that makes you feel like you've already screwed things up. Sure. <laughs> and I can imagine um, someone sitting here listening thinking, well, like I have, I have an older kid and I have used the colorblind approach because I thought that that was the right way to go. Um, and now I'm hearing this and that I should have been talking to my kid earlier. What can you do if you have an older kid and you've been waiting to talk to them, waiting for them to ask about it? Sure. I mean, it's never too late to start the conversations, even if you haven't had them yet. Um, there's always time to start. And it's different conversations that you have with a teenager than what you have with a five-year-old. Um, when you're talking to a five-year-old, it's more about, you know, um, being fair and treating everybody the same and that you should still play with kids that might have brown skin, even though you have white skin. Um, whereas for older kids, that's when you can start looking at, you know, what has society done? What's the historical context? Um, what's the reason why this is still in place? What are some of the policies that are keeping these separations? Um, what are some of the the ways that people are being discriminated against by various policies or just by the way people are treating them. And so there's always time 
to start those conversations. It's never too late. Coming up, Bridget tackles your questions on how to start these conversations with your kids. Don't go away. (laughs) At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. We're back with Bridget Vitrup. She's an associate professor of child development who's researched how kids understand race and racism. Kids are notoriously curious. They ask questions about everything, and they have a knack for hitting us with their biggest, most existential questions when we are least expecting it. Their questions about race can especially trip us up. Bridget is here to give you more confidence in your answers. We played some of your real dilemmas for her. Here's the first. Hi, this is Kim in Oklahoma. So it was February of last year, and my oldest daughter was in kindergarten. And so they were studying Black History Month. And she came home, and she had questions. So we talked about Martin Luther King Jr., and we talked about Rosa Parks. And she stops me, and she says, well, yeah, Mom, but what does Black mean? And... um. So that really stumped me. I was I didn't know we were starting completely at square one. So um, I tried using some examples and we talked about um, President Obama and we talked about some of her friends at school. Then it dawned on her and I could see this thought process and she said, Mom, you're just talking about brown people. They're not black. And she says, Anyway, we're all kind of brown, aren't we? I mean, our family is kind of khaki. And then I was completely thrown off because she starts asking me, well, how brown do you have to be before you're black? And she has friends who are Indian who are darker skinned than friends of hers who are black. And she has Hispanic friends. And are they black? And for me, that conversation was especially uncomfortable because it feels actually kind of racist to be talking about people's races and how to group people together and identifying different people as different races. So I guess um, I'm asking if you have any advice about how to talk about race with really young kids who might not even have an idea about what race is yet. I think this is just a great, really basic question. How do you talk to a young child about what Black means? And it's it's very confusing for for little kids. Um, it's it was confusing for my kids too. Um, and your kids are mixed race. Yes, and so I remember when my son was younger, and my husband would mention something about being black, and my son would say, "I think he was probably three or four at the time." He said, "Daddy, you're not black." And of course, my husband's like, what do you mean I'm not black? I'm definitely <laughs> black. Uh, he's he's very proud of being black. And and he goes, no, daddy, you're brown. Because it is um, somewhat of a weird concept how we call people black and white, but really nobody has 
black skin or white skin. It's just, you know, he would tell me that I was light orange or something, even though that <laughs> doesn't really describe my skin either. But it is very confusing to children. Um, and so it having those conversations um, early on is, is nothing more than just, you know, people that have brown skin. You know, we call them black. They call themselves black. Um, some people call them African-American. We call ourselves white, even though our skin is not really white. Um, there's some books out there. There's one book that I really like called All the Colors We Are, the story of how we got our skin color. And um, it really talks about just the biological side of skin color, of how essentially why some people's skin is lighter and some people's skin is, is darker and makes it just like completely normal that people have these different shades of skin. But in terms of the the issue of, of being uncomfortable categorizing people by skin color, um, there is a difference between just recognizing what people's race is or what their skin color is and then um, actually judging them based on that. Because if we're just recognizing, well, this person is black and this person has lighter brown skin, you know, this person might be Hispanic or this person might be Indian or Asian, um, there's nothing wrong with that per se. I mean, like my husband says, you know, I'm black. I know I'm black. It's okay if you call me black. It's part of my identity and I'm okay with that. Um, and so it's not necessarily bad. And I think sometimes we assume that we should just not even mention people's race or their skin color because there's something bad about it. But that can send a message to kids that, well, if you're something other than what we are, then there's something wrong with you. So we shouldn't talk about it. I mean, in that mom's voice, you could hear her discomfort. You could hear kind of the throat clearing and her long pauses. And you were talking about um, being in groups of white people where the conversation flows. And then you introduce like, you know, a person of a different race into the group and um, the conversation changes. How do you deal with that? How do we deal with our discomfort when these questions come up or when we want to address issues of race without taking a misstep? Sure. And I think a lot of it is just practice of just getting in the habit of just talking about it and just mentioning it. Um, and But I think also that, you know, when you look at the different stereotypes about different races, um, there's also a stereotype uh, about white people being racist. And so I think that some people tend to internalize that and say, I better not say anything because somebody is just going to think that I'm racist. Um, and so I think that's a hurdle to overcome too. And I think that's why some people are uncomfortable about it. But I think the more conversations we can have, the more we can get ourselves used to talking about it. Let's hear our next question. My name is Jacqueline and I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Is it okay for children to describe people by how they look? My daughter is seven years old, and she is a very visual person. She will go into great detail when describing people, and she expects everyone else to do the same. One time in particular, I mentioned to her that I went to lunch with my coworker, Alan, and here's how our conversation went. So today I had lunch with my friend, Alan, I don't remember Alan. What does he look like? So, well, he's daddy's age. He wears glasses. Well, what, what, what color skin does Alan have? I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure how to describe it. Does Alan have brown skin? No. Does, does Alan have white skin? No, not exactly. At this point in the conversation, she was getting visibly frustrated with me. So I told her, Alan is Chinese. He looks Chinese. Well, I don't know what that means. It means that Alan was born in China. Well, well, what does he look like? Well, he has black hair. His skin is light like ours. And his eyes look a little bit different than ours, though. Annabelle thought for a moment, and then I saw her mental light bulb go off. Does, does Alan look like the guy at the grocery store that helps us with our recycling? 
Yes. Conversations like this can get very awkward. So there are a lot of layers to to this conversation that um, that this woman Jacqueline had with her daughter. Um, and I just I also want to point out that Chinese, of course, doesn't always mean that someone's born in China. We have plenty of Asian Americans in this country. But can can you just address what, what's going on here and how you would recommend that um, Jacqueline? Like address this when these conversations come up with her daughter. Sure, and and I think it was very clear the way she described the conversation is that she was very uncomfortable talking about what he looked like, but her daughter was very comfortable and really just wanted to know. And so, if it's just a matter of describing what somebody looks like, there's there's really nothing wrong with just describing that. But how would you describe um, an Asian person to a young child? It all depends on whether or not it's if this is if these are people that they're used to being around and used to seeing. Um, And so regardless of, you know, if you have to bring out a book and say, well, here are some people that kind of look like them because I had and and this was kind of interesting. A a friend of mine told me that she had gone to um, a Thai restaurant with her um, with her niece. So her and her husband are both white and their niece is white. And um, they were sitting there waiting for their table. And then all of a sudden, her niece, who I think was seven at the time, said quite loudly, wow, there's sure are a lot of Chinese people in here. And their reaction was they were somewhat mortified and they were like, shh, don't say that. Um, and then afterwards, she called me and she said, I need to tell you something. And I'm not sure I handled it correctly. Um because they were kind of mortified by the fact that she was saying that out loud. Um, but this child was just noticing the way that these people in this Thai restaurant were looking is her concept of what a Chinese person would look like. And so she was just commenting on that. And so whether it's a matter of, you know, you can go into a whole geography lesson about somebody who's Chinese or Japanese or Malaysian or wherever they might be from in this grand continent of of Asia, um, if somebody is Chinese or if somebody is black or Hispanic, you'll usually find that they're not offended by you saying this person is Hispanic or this person is black or this person is Chinese because that's part of their identity. And so I think sometimes also with kids' questions, we have to be careful not to put adult intentions behind it. Um, Because again, this girl... She just wanted to know what he looked like because she likes, I guess she wanted to picture who is this person that my mom had had lunch with. Um, I can imagine people, though, hearing that and then cringing and being like, oh, now you're grouping people together. Um, you're like stereotyping them, you know. But you're know. not necessarily I, – I think just by talking about what somebody's race or ethnicity is is not necessarily stereotyping against them. It's just a visual description. As long as you don't put any kind of, you know, characteristics or judgments or biases behind it. Um, so, so we have a we have another question um, that sort of follows really well after this one. Let's hear the next question. My name's Anne, and I live in Seattle. I have two daughters. Uh, the oldest one just turned four. She will occasionally ask someone with brown skin in public if they're black. My knee-jerk reaction, and I've done this on occasion, is to shush her because it feels so uncomfortable to hear to hear a question like that in public. And I'm so worried about her offending somebody or hurting someone's feelings. Uh, for the most part, it's been adults who've been extremely understanding. But as my husband points out, you know, if it were to be another child, another young person, um, there's the possibility to really, you know, hurt somebody's feelings or hurt someone or even cause uh, a bad memory for that child. So uh, my question would be, how do I let my daughters know that it's okay to ask questions, and that's how we learn. How do we, we teach them these lessons in the real world without them feeling shame about it, but without that being on the backs of others? Well, I think, again, we, we always have to be careful not to put these adult intentions behind children's questions. Um, and so I think we have to just let the kids ask the questions. And if there is some kind of um, interaction that occurs, so for example, if it's a, a child 
that asks another child some question and they end up having some issue or not liking that question, that can open a dialogue. Why are you asking that? What is it that you would like to know? Asking the other kid, why don't you like that question? Um, And you can sort of start this conversation um, that way. But it is a very common response for a parent. And I'll give you an example of just um, what happened to me. A friend of mine was watching... Uh, my little puppy, when um, my husband and I were going on vacation, and um, she's white, and her whole family is white, and so her son, who I think was maybe five or six at the time, we were all standing around out in the garage talking, and he had seen me several times because we were in school together, but um, he had never seen my husband, and so we're standing around talking, and so I noticed he's kind of looking at me, he's looking at my husband, and he's looking at me, and then he's looking at my husband, and then he goes, but you're white and he's a dark brown man. So why did you marry him? And his mother's immediate reaction was, shh. (laughs) And then, you know, she was mortified and she looked at me and she kind of whispered, I'm so sorry. Um, But to him, it was just, this was just an observation he had made. You know, in his mind, he was used to seeing white people together and black people together. Now here all of a sudden were two people that didn't match in their skin color. And he'd never seen it before, so he just wanted to know. Um, And I just told him, I said, you know, he's a really nice man, and I love him, and that's why I married him. And that was totally fine with him. Sometimes just the simplest answer can be enough for a child because they are just asking questions because they've noticed something they haven't seen before. And it's a great opportunity to just to just teach them about the world and and teach them to kind of embrace these differences. Like, I've done the thing plenty of times where I've said, that's a great question. Ask me later. (laughs) Ask me when we get home. Do you think that that is potentially problematic? Um, Not necessarily, um, because then if you address it again when you get home, but then the kid might ask, well, why couldn't we talk about it then? Why, yeah. Like, why do we have to? Why do we have to wait? And then you have to be ready with, with a reason that doesn't send the message that this was something we couldn't talk about because there is something taboo about this. Um, because you'll even sometimes hear kids they'll be on the subway or on the bus, and they see somebody you know with kinky hair, for example, and they'll be like, "Why does she have hair like that?" You know, and and then parents are like immediately like, let's not talk about that. Um, Or ask me when we get home or they don't really want to say it because they don't want to say something offensive in front of this person who probably heard the question and can maybe hear the answer. Uh, But it's really just a very basic answer about, you know, different people have different hair textures. And um, yeah, and and it could be, you know, because sometimes then you have the kid that's like, well, can I touch it? Like, well, this is not really a person that we know. Um, But just talking about it in very simple sense, whether it be skin color or hair texture or facial features, that um, talking about it in a way that's just very basic. In a minute, we talk about how your kids' hometown, school, and teachers influence their racial attitudes. Stay with us. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean... Every time. Because messes happen. Because... I made the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. We are back with Bridget Vitrup. Let's return to her answers to your questions on talking to your kids about race. Hi, my name is Clay, and I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, so I'm a new father. I have a son who's uh, 22 months old. And I was reading a book by Ta-Nehisi Coates, which is a memoir he writes to his son that kind of explains the experience, his experience of being a black man in America. And I reassessed my own life and realized, oh my gosh, here I am again in like the suburbs of a very predominantly white area. And um, I don't have any black people that I can say like, oh, this is a good friend of mine. And then more, more shocking to me, or I guess more upsetting to me, was I didn't have any role models to, sh- to bring to my son. I don't know how exactly to expose him to more black people. Um, part of my problem is that I am currently in medical school. Uh, and so I'm very tied down to the location that I'm in. And so I'm really looking for strategies and ways to expose my son to black culture within any place that I'm living. This is the reality for a lot of people, um, you know, short of saying, oh, well, sure, just move to another neighborhood. That's usually not practical. Um, people live where they live because it's either close to their work or um, close to family or close to school. And I've heard it from some of the parents that I have talked to, too. Um, this one white mom said, said, I feel bad because I realized I I don't have any friends that are black and I don't know what to do because I don't want to just go up to the black woman at my work and say, hey, do you want to be friends so that I can have a black friend? You know, it's, <laughs> friendships don't happen like that. We want them to happen organically. Um, but there certainly are um, places that you can take your child, whether it be a playground or a recreation center in a different area of town um, that might be more diverse. Um, a lot of cities have African-American history museums. There are um, books for children as well that show black families, black children. Some of them have the history component in there as well. Um, There are videos. Um, So there are certainly other ways that you can expose your children, even if it might not be right there in that particular neighborhood. Bridget actually sent us a list of books and videos for exposing kids to people who look different from them. Those are on our website. All right, let's hear the next question from a mom of an older child. We are a white family who has a daughter that is going to middle school this year. And in her middle school, she is a racial minority. There are more African-American children at the school than there are Caucasian children. And she has run into a couple of cases where um, it's almost reverse discrimination from some of the African-American children who have questioned um why a white girl is going to the school that she's at or why a white girl lives in the neighborhood that she lives in. And it's kind of a a touchy subject in our house because we don't really know how to respond in a neutral way where we are are accepting and, and welcoming of people of other cultures and races. But in in a case where it's a reversed racism topic, and it's your own child, you kind of start to get defensive. And our society right now is so divided, um, it's really difficult to try to be or, or to come off as not being racist when you're not racist, but you're almost defending that position, it seems like, on a more constant basis. So first, I feel like we should address um, the idea of reverse racism. I know that's a very controversial um phrase. How do you address this concept? When you talk about reverse discrimination, I mean, discrimination is discrimination. Um, 
racism is, and and different people argue it different ways, but it's a way that um, sort of society is set up to where certain people have privilege, you know, the majority has the privilege and the minority do not. And so some people define that as racism will always be against minorities. Um, discrimination certainly can be against anybody. Um, and and so I think that in this case, um, the parents are probably surprised um, because it's it's usually the other way around where it is the minority race in the United States that tend to be discriminated against. And I think that could be part of why um, this girl is experiencing that. They're probably not used to having white people at that school. And so there is this distrust because these are um, families and kids that have been discriminated against uh, by white people. Um, But it's the same type of conversations that you want to have. And probably, you know, if she's in middle school, she's old enough to understand this whole concept of, you know, discrimination, both historically and, and, and currently, and, and how people who are black, Hispanic, or, or just non-white have been treated in this country, and that that's part of where they're coming from. Because um, I think it is important to start a dialogue between these between these kids. Um, And it might be a matter of getting the teacher involved as well. Certainly, I think it's important not to ignore it. Uh, I think it's important to talk about it at home, but also get some dialogue started with the kids at school. Our next question comes from someone who is not a parent. Um, It actually comes from a teacher. So let's hear that one. My name is Kelsey, and I live in Columbia, Missouri. And it was my first year teaching preschool. And... It was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I um, played a video and and it just kind of gave like the two-minute synopsis and very watered-down version of everything. So I played it for the kids and they were interested. And so we kind of sat and talked about it. And this was mixed-age preschool. The kids that were four and five were kind of, we were having discussions about it. And I was asking them questions and kind of broke it down to a long time ago. A black person did not go to the same school as white people and kind of just tried to differentiate between a long time ago and how Martin Luther King Jr. worked hard and it's changing. Um, Keep in mind that this was in a class full of only white students. And so everything went okay. And then a couple of days later, one of the moms came up to me and said oh, what did you guys talk about on Martin Luther King Jr. Day? You know, did you have this conversation? And I kind of explained how we watched a video and then had a discussion. And she's saying, well, my daughter came home and said, oh, Miss Kelsey said that black people and white people can't be friends. They can't be together. And so I was obviously shocked and tried to explain to her that that's not what I was teaching the kids. And the mom basically said, you know, I don't think you should be talking about this to students. Uh, I think it's too confusing for them. And so my question would just be what role a teacher plays in having these conversations where it's obviously an important thing to talk about, but you want to be, you want to keep the parents' goals in mind as well. I think this is a great question. I think this really points to the point you were making earlier that um, our kids are going to get input about race from many people other than us, many other adults. And so for people who come into contact with kids in their jobs or like as their teachers or their coaches or, you know, friends, parents, how do you suggest uh, taking on that role? Well, and certainly this experience of the teacher is not all that uncommon. Um, I have heard it from teachers too, both preschool and elementary school teachers that are somewhat weary of bringing up um, any race-related content or conversations in their classroom because they're worried either about, um, you know, what is the school administration going to say or how are the parents going to react. Um, What some preschools are doing is in their welcome packet, they will put information about how they really 
you know, aspire to use a very multicultural curriculum, um, having children really embrace differences and different cultures, because that way at least they can prepare themselves from these questions. Because if these are things that are never discussed at home, um, chances are that kids are going to have questions if all of a sudden you're discussing it at school. And that's not to say don't discuss it at school. I think there are some very important lessons for kids. But it's also not entirely uncommon for kids to completely misunderstand some of these messages. Um, but I also think, you know, from a teacher perspective, it's important to avoid the tourist curriculum where, you know, in the middle of January, we talk about Martin Luther King. In February, we talk about Black History Month. In you know, around Thanksgiving, we talk about um, the American Indians. And only talking about it in these as if we're sort of tourists just kind of visiting and looking from uh, from afar, that, that it's something that is part of the curriculum throughout the year, um, that they're being exposed to stories, books, activities that involve all cultures and races um, throughout the year so that they can be used to that and, and it won't be um, as different and as new that as long as the parents are aware uh, that these are some of the conversations that we're having, these are some of the topics that we're covering, um, and so that they can be prepared for some of the questions that their kids are asking. Now, we've talked a lot today about how the colorblind approach, the approach of staying silent and assuming kids will just figure out that that everyone should be treated equally and fairly, that that approach doesn't work. What evidence do you have that getting out in front of it and talking to your kids um, from a really early age and, and continuing to talk about it with them all the time, what evidence do you have that that approach works? I mean, there is there is research evidence um, behind it just in terms of children's racial attitudes. Um, one thing that I found in in my study where technically the intervention didn't work, but if I looked at just the children whose parents had had um, substantial conversations with uh, positive messages about interracial cooperation and, and friendships, that these children did show improved um, attitudes. In my conversation with Bridget, she said a lot of things that gave me a new perspective on talking to my kid about race. And I was surprised by how much of her advice was so common sense, you know, like, be descriptive, weave race into your everyday conversations, be creative in how you expose your kids to other cultures. But Bridget also told me something that she discovered in her research that I just did not see coming. When you ask kids to predict how they feel, and so in, in my particular study, they were asked, you know, how their parents feel about Black people. Do they think they're nice? Do they think they're smart? Um, would they be okay with you playing with a Black friend? And um, even just that question, whether or not their parent would be okay with them having a Black friend, 35% either said no or I don't know. Uh, which this is more than a third of the kids that that either think, no, I'm not sure my parent would be okay with it, or just like, I don't know. Like, they don't have confidence in the fact that they that their parent would be okay with that. Um, and just the parents that I talked to afterwards were like, oh, my God, I can't believe he thought that. Um, but again, part of it is because when we're not having these conversations, then kids pick up the information from elsewhere. Um, and so when we're never addressing it, it's almost like a silent approval of these biased messages. Um, and so they just, in the absence of conversations, they just don't know how their parents feel. Wow, right? Keeping quiet about race in an attempt to not seem racist can actually make your kids less tolerant of other cultures than you are. And with that note, we hope this episode will help you to start more conversations with your kids, your friends, your communities about how white people can be proactive in creating a more just and loving world. We've got a list of Bridget's recommended books, websites, and videos at longestshortesttime.com. We've also got resources for you about the history of racism in America, white privilege, and getting over white guilt. This topic, of course, is very thought-provoking, and we want to hear what's on your mind. Maybe you've found a strategy of your own for working race talk into your daily life with your family. Or maybe the show just left you with more questions. Share it all at our website in the comments for this episode. That's episode 116. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Abigail Keel and Kristen Clark. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. 
Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov and directed by Allison Leighton Brown. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado, Antonia Akitunde, and Reka Murthy. Special thanks this week to Panhandle Studios in Denton, Texas, and to all of the parents who bravely sent in their questions. Next week on The Longest Shortest Time... We didn't exactly have like a real party when she got her period, but it was close. There was a lot of high-fiving and celebrating and phone calls all around. Coming of age with Down syndrome. Author Amy Silverman will join us with her teenage daughter, Sophie. Do not miss this show. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we are looking for your stories. Right now, we're looking for something fun and and kind of specific. Um, So in some recent episodes, we've featured old recordings of our guests as kids. There was Kyria rapping to her mom and Kirsten's parents talking to her when she was a baby. Remember those things? Maybe you guys have something like this sitting around in a box at home, like a cassette tape just gathering dust. Drop us a line. Tell us what's on your tape and why it is meaningful. Just go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Hey, Paul. Hey, Scott. Have you ever heard of Tripod? What are you talking about? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I came a little hot on yeah, that. Yeah, that was... Uh, I apologize. Uh, this is a big podcast awareness campaign happening throughout March. Now, I know about podcasts, and I know being doing a podcast myself, I know a lot of people, they don't know what they are. They don't even know what it is. So what we want people to do is to share your favorite podcast. It doesn't have to be ours. In fact, I would hate it if you shared mine. I, you know what? I forbid you to share mine. <laughs> exactly. Let's say you know someone in your life who would probably enjoy a podcast if only they try it. Right. You can recommend a podcast that you think that person would like. A lot of people, you know, uh, listen to podcasts while they're working out. It takes their mind off of it. While they're working, it takes their mind off. While they're doing laundry. While they're driving. Some people like to watch that video of a fox decomposing and listen to a podcast at the same time. (laughs) If you're one of these people, then you must know someone like that who would really enjoy podcasts, but they still don't really understand what they are or why they're special. You can tell your friends how easy it is to listen to podcasts. There's maybe two steps to it. It's if very that, simple. Or send them to tripodcasts.org. I didn't know there was a website. Why, why are we even talking about this? They should just be going to the website. Why are they listening to us? We should have just sent people to the website. Tell us what show you recommended with the hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D. And you're a daisy if you do. Stand up. You sing your wolf? Yeah. <laughs> This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf! At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide.